Welcome back, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I am Jeffrey Paul. I'm sorry, folks, for the weird angle that I'm at. Uh, I'm recording this uh, tonight on my iPad. I'm having a little difficulty with the computer, but everything be cool. Uh, let's welcome in our co-host, Mr. Sean Morton. Sean, how are you, bud? I hope you get a nose hair trimmer for your uh, for Christmas this year. With that angle, <laughs> maybe I need to. I need to move back more. I don't know, man. I hate doing it like this. I don't know. Why don't, you, why, why don't you try not blowing the friggin' iPad while you're on top? Move back, you dummy. It's it's too much face. It's, it's too always much too face. much face when you're on camera, but it's better be doing a little further back. It's too much face, uh, dude, man. I had a crazy weekend. Um, I was doing um, shows last night down in uh, Sag Harbor. Okay, and it was. It was it was this really cool like house that the Red Hot Chili Peppers rent out, and this guy and hey had like a bunch of people, and it was just like a crazy uh, night. So the, uh, that was what I was doing last night. So it was a lot of driving, a lot of a lot, a lot of crazy crazy time last night. But uh, good weekend for you. Shows always no shows. I'm not booked until the end of January. I'm taking oh, a few okay. weeks off. Taking a few weeks off, Jeffrey. We're charging the batteries a little bit. That helps too. All right. Um, let's bring in our, our two guests. We have two guests tonight. Uh, we have this guy is a drummer. He is part of the band Black Rose. Uh, that with one guest is Andre Labelle, and then we also have joining Andre, Mr. Josh Leaf. He has a couple albums out under his belt, and let's get to know these guys. How are you guys? First of all, thank you so much for coming on and doing this with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, man. I Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's get uh, right into it. And let me uh, start with uh, Andre. And, Andre, you know, I, I, I looked, looked you up and, you know, and saw you playing. And like, you know, listen, you're you're an amazing player. That goes without saying. You, okay. Um but I also saw that you do a lot of session work, okay? So how does it work being a session player uh, as opposed to, you know, being like in a, in a steady touring band? Is that, you know, money-wise sometimes, is that the best route to go, connection-wise? Or is that just like kind of a choice because maybe you have a family and, and you want to kind of stay put? Well, I mean, the touring is something that really comes about with uh, the circumstances and being fortunate. Because a band that's really out there touring, making the money that I'm guessing you're talking about and having a career with it, like playing big arenas and such, that's, uh, I mean, every drummer out there is looking for that kind of a gig. Uh, so they're not easy to come by. But the studio work is what I've mainly done uh, recording. And I moved to California when I was like 21 and uh, lived out there for like 10, 11 years. And I did a lot of recordings with a Vinnie Vincent is one of one of the guys that I recorded with from Kiss and um, Robert Fleischman. He and I recorded together um, two albums and well, I guess about six years ago. But um, the session work is um, is more like the ability to play with a click track and um, and make the songs uh, happen under like a, a very like a magnified point of playing because you got mics on each drum individually and uh, everything you touch on that kit, you're going to hear and you're going to feel as far as the pocket and how the song's being recorded and uh, playing live is more about um, the energy of the moment of just performing and, and visually, because you got to look cool and throw shapes and all of that, you know, with a lot of the harder rock bands. So, um, I mean, I guess that I guess that's the way I would look at it. But session work is the main thing that I've done. Yeah, it was a great documentary a couple of years ago called Hired Gun, which really yeah, man, that that was pretty cool. I watched it. It had the drummer from uh, Billy Joel, I think, right? Yeah, Is we had him Billy on Joel? here, Olivia Devito. Yeah, Is that the Billy Joel documentary? No, it's all about uh, session work, like session musicians. Okay, but was he like one of the focuses? The people, that yeah, Olivia Devito, uh, Billy yeah. Joel's drummer, was on yeah. there for a good a good portion of it too. So when, when you get hired out as a, a session player, do you go into the studio with the band or do they said, hey, look, here's the song. You go into the studio by yourself and lay down the track by yourself and then they kind of edit it all in. Both ways, really. Um, the last session that I did was with, uh, well, actually, the second of the last was a guy named Andy Seussmill. He's a German artist. I met him in California when I was um 
playing a little bit with uh, Richie Kotzen and Diana, his wife. Um, but Andy is uh, German and he lived in California for a couple of years. And I did recordings with him at that time around 94, 95. But uh, he lives in Germany. So I recorded Bill Leverty's recording studio, which is the guitar player from Firehouse. And uh, great guy. I did a couple of records with him too, Flood the Engine. And I did Bill's solo record, Drive. But um, I'll record the, the drums that hit at Bill's studio. And um, when I'm finished with the tracks that, that, that I create, they're just sent to Germany at the studio that Andy or the client may be at. And then they take those drum, drum tracks and download them into their system with their studio, um, the computer, if it's Pro Tools or whatever. And my drums are already finished and they just bring up the drums. And it's as if I'm there recording with them because the drums are already recorded, you know, just sent through ones and zeros through the internet, you know? During the pandemic, you saw a lot of that. Like, you know, people would be like in their own home studios and you could record a whole album without the whole band ever being in the studio at the same time. The technology has really opened that up, you know, where I could record a record with somebody without even meeting them. They could just send me the tracks to a studio that we're at. And exactly. I, I learn it, record it. Or even communicate with them like on the phone throughout the recording as if they were there. Or we could have a computer set up like this while we're doing a face-to-face while I'm doing the drum tracking. You know, it's really cool. Do you have any, when you're you're a session musician, do you have any creative input into the songwriting? Is there sometimes like, like you hear the song and you say, well, this sounds pretty good, but if we kind of changed it up and maybe changed the tempo uh, something uh do you have any say in that or they say hey this is what we want and you go ahead and do it you you you, you lay down the track and then you're at a dodge uh, definitely you do i mean I, I i do session work as well and i've done it remotely during the pandemic i've done it in the studio as well i mean they always you know you can always say hey try this chord here or have you ever thought of this and some guys will be some you know guys or gals will be open to it some artists are interested in hearing your input. Some have a really good preconception of what they want. So it kind of goes, you know, both both sides. But I've never had anyone that didn't want to listen to an idea or two. You know, they want to hear your thoughts. Gotcha. Um, Andrew, you played with, you said you had mentioned that you had played with uh, Vinnie Vincent. Um, Vinnie Vincent's a character. What, what was he like? Well, I mean, when I was recording with him, I didn't have, you know, anything go down that would be like really uh eccentric or anything like that because people people have said a lot about Vinny relating to um like him being difficult to work with or whatever but i didn't really have any was problems that mostly paul because who said that what's that now was that mostly paul and gene who said that well yeah i mean he had a falling out with kiss um but um the work that that i did with him was studio work he hired me to come in the studio and record on the record that he was doing so um there was, I mean, there's no way I was going to have any problems with the situation because I felt blessed to be recording the record. I was in the room just setting up all the drum sets. They um, brought in a, like seven or eight different drum sets to go through. So um, I was just enjoying the process of dealing with the, with the drums and setting it all up. But um, I mean, Vinny, Vinny is just, man, I think he's kind of, um, he's angry, you know, he's pissed off at a lot of, circumstances that's happened but uh but it doesn't make any sense because the guy i mean he got the gig with kiss and he's legendary for for playing with them and his ability as a guitarist he's a brilliant guitar player and nobody can take that from him but that's uh, right he's always he's always kind of dealing with uh with emotions within relationships with people and and he's got animosities and such that i think is pretty much irrelevant to what what he would do in the future so, um, but it was a great experience, you know, it was cool to, and it got me, it got me in, in that, that family with the other uh, people that have played with on solo records with Kiss members and all. And they got, put my name in the Kiss family tree on the Kiss Alive 3 album, which was really neat because I was a huge Kiss fan growing up, you know, of and had that happen was great. And it helped me out a lot. I've done a lot of uh, things in, involved with uh with people related to Kiss and that circle because I recorded with Vinnie Vincent, you know, the Kiss fans are like Star Trek fans, man. They, they love all the little details and the, 
and the backstories and, and all of that, you know. Very so true. Guys, I heard that you guys are comedians. So what is what is that like? Because you're doing a similar thing to what we're doing, getting on a stage, you know, and performing an art, a craft. And man, I'm not a comedian type guy, but I, I understand what it takes to be really brilliant at doing that, man. With, I've with done the, both. I've done comedy. Stuff, I've done comedy. I was in a band for a long time. Being a comedian is a lot better. You don't have to share the fuck of money is what it comes down to. Whatever money I make at the end of the night, I'm going to split it four fucking ways. I would think it's harder because when I try to tell a joke on stage and it starts bombing, at least I can crank up the guitar. That's true. I start talking to the audience. If they're not paying attention, it's like, you know, turn it up. I was a good lead singer for the one reason is that I would always help my drummer break down his drum kit. I used to always watch bands and the, and the singer would have LSD, the lead singer disease. And they would just walk off the stage and saunter off when they were done. I never did that. I would always help break down my drum kit. I just thought it was a nice thing to do because I had one of those obnoxious drummers who had like the 37 piece kit. Yeah, man. And played four of them. You know what I mean? Well, this guy is such a drummer. He, this guy can play so good. We will do gigs sometimes. He will play literally a snare drum, a kick drum, and a hi-hat. That's it. Mm-hmm. No cymbals, no toms. He brings a snare. A kick I have. Well, People look it over and they're like, what is that? that gonna, they think he's going to set up more. And we're rocking out. We're playing like rock and roll. I have some real rock and roll songs on my records and we do some covers too mixed in. And he's cranking it out on three drums. And people are just like, and he's getting all these sounds. He turns you, you, you look like more of a country. Off. You look like more of a country guy though, Josh. I'm not, I'm not really a country guy. I mean, no. I do everything. I play everything. I just, this is just, I just wear, I'm bald. So I wear a hat. That's kind of, <laughs> okay. I've been wearing this hat for a long time and just kind of picked it up as a little uh, affectation and just stuck with it. But um, no, I'm a, I'm a rock and roller, but I mean, I play country rock too. I play, I've played really any kind of guitar that'll get me a gig for, you know, my whole life, basically. I've done other things too. I've had other jobs as well, but I mean, I'm a lifelong musician that's always tried to play. Diversity, you know, so yeah, I play a wide range of styles. You know, it's cool though. I think, I think now over the last like five or 10 years or so, like if you say country, if you say rock, if you say pop, there's so much of it that just bleeds over into everything. Like you have, you know, I, I went to two country concerts last week. I went to see Luke Combs one night and then I saw Eric Church the next night. Uh, and they were just both completely filled out shows and it's amazing because there's no radio airplay in this area for country you know but there's a lot of bands like you know blackberry smokes a huge band that would be considered country 20 years ago but now they're not southern rock they're not country they're not pop they're not rock i love that i love that it actually you can mix into different genres at this point because like you can have you know uh you know like your mom will like one part of it your, your girl will like one part your brother will like one part and that's it kind of just yeah. mixes into everything at this point. Not, 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 not to break. My albums kind of got are that kind of feel, and that's the kind of reviews I've gotten. It's like old style songwriting where you don't just pick a genre. So, like the lead track, I have a music video out for the song called "Love in Disguise." It was released, released 2018, so it's a music video. That's like just a hard rocker, like a Hendrix style kind of classic rocker. But then the third song on the record is like a more like a country rocker, like something you'd hear, like you know, like a Neil Young kind of song or something mm-hmm. like that. And then it gets, I mean, I have acoustic picking song. It's just, you know, you go with the song, like the great, you know, 70s, 60s artists did. They didn't just pick a style. And, you know, nowadays, like you said, country sounds so much. I mean, they're blur the lines nowadays. Big time. Of, you know, the country, they have rap and country and stuff like that. They try to do that. But we're more old school, like where it's just like we go where the song goes. So the record that we're working on now is just a mixture of genres. It's not a blues record. You know, I've been called a blues artist. I've been called a country artist. I've been called a rock artist, but to me, it's all rock. I mean, Clapton play, you know, just picking Clapton's example, he's played every single style there is. I mean, you got, you know, you look at his, all his albums and there's country rock sounds, there's rock and roll sounds, there's, oh, yeah. you know, hard rock is cream. So Jeff, that's the kind Jeff of stuff Beck we had do. a lot of like very, Jeff Beck had almost country picking in his oh, style. Yeah, for didn't sure. mm-hmm. And also I think, you know, country music has gotten really more so rock and roll. Jason Aldean, Mm-hmm. I'm friends with their drummer, uh, Rich Redman. Great guy, great drummer. I mean, that guy's a rock drummer to the hilt, man. Jason Aldean is really, uh, he's hard rock with a country flair, you know? Sure, sure but, uh, I agree. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm 55 years old. When I was younger, though, in my, in my 20s and 30s, I love the, um, the heavy-hitting double bass, you know, where it's now I play more, uh, more wristy. I've gotten into more techniques of like Steve Gadd and such. Uh, drummers that were my elders but um 
in my in my youth, especially with Vinnie Vincent and um and some of the other people that I played with, it was all about like uh, MTV, you know, like, what did you look like when you played? Like when you're playing, when you go for that crash symbol, does it look cool when you're swinging for it like a karate fighter or something? That was part of the talent, part of the art that was involved with uh, the drumming, you know? You take a great drummer like someone like Neil Peart, right? Did you think, you know, I mean, did he have flair or was, or was his flair just how great his drumming was? Uh, I think Neil Neil Peart is uh, legendary and his drumming is is respected because he was such a brilliant songwriter. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the licks that Neil Peart did nowadays, on the, compared to like Dave Weckles and Dennis Chambers, you know, he, he wasn't that technical. Um, he did a lot of what they call uh, four stroke roughs. You could probably hear this, you know, when you go. Yeah, hold those sixteenths and then go on, you know, and he would go down the toms. But his thing was about um, constructing, like orchestrating with Geddy Lee, the bassist, and and Alex Lifeson, the guitar player. And as a band, they created this brilliant thing that just the drums came out like an orchestration. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, they're one of the most genius bands to ever come out, I think, Rush. And uh, Neil Peart is an absolute legend. I mean, God rest his soul, man. It broke my heart when when he died because as a kid, man, uh, I mean, that guy inspired me beyond belief. In, in 1977, I was like 11 years old, so no doubt. I would answer your question. I would just say that I don't think Neil was one that really went for a lot of flourish in addition to his playing. There are some guys that you know, can see do the twirls and do the spins and the spins. Right. Neil wasn't that kind of drummer, but he like right. like a yeah. Neil was more, he, more he risky. Wrote, he, he was more risky, but yeah. he wrote focus on the song, just like you know, like like I mean, you know, and technical. It's being a technically great drummer. I mean, you know, in my view, one of the best drummers ever was Ringo, and Ringo was never you know the fastest drummer or the most tight. You know, but he wrote the best. You know, the, his parts. You you could just play his drum part. And know the song to probably 20 or 30 or 40 songs. Not a lot of songs you could say that to where he's written a signature. And his feel, man. Yeah, signature know. feel. And feel, you know, part. feel, this is something interesting. Feel is uh, really overlooked as far as the, the technicality of drummers or musicians in general. A, a good metaphor would be that I, I could speak the English language, you know, but that doesn't mean that I could present a line like Morgan Freeman in a movie and have the character and magic that. You know, Clint Eastwood had when he just said a simple line in a movie. Music is a lot like that. The drum beat can be very simply, simply played. But the way the drummer uh, is playing it within that grid of like whether you're rushing or whether you're uh, playing behind the beat, you know, that float that they call the pocket, the feel thing. Like when you're playing, some of the hits are going to be relaxed, kind of dragged a little bit behind the beat. And then some of the hits are going to be a little ahead of the beat with excitement, you know, and how you float within that and the dynamics of your volume within your playing creates the character of how you, how your feel comes off in the music. And uh, some drummers are very simplistic, but they have a magical feel. A, a lot of younger drummers don't understand what that means. You know, it's very complicated, but yeah, man, I mean, Pert had both, I think. I, Andre, that was, that's a, a great, explanation of what feel is because we did an episode on this show when we uh, did a, a tribute to Charlie Watts and, and that guy you know, had it so intensely it's it's almost sickening you know you listen to Beast of Burden where there's the guitar rip playing going dun 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 and then he drops in with just that simple beat but his beat the way it jangles it almost like it's like exactly. a beautiful woman walking or something man it's magical within light of what we were just talking about it really is neat stuff man i love thinking about it along those terms you got me so and to, to tie in what you were saying you know you're asking us about uh, comedy and I think the connection here with music delivery and all that dude well, it's, not, it's it's not even that it's like hey you, you I'm sure you can cover Beast of Burden or any of the stone songs but Charlie had like his way of doing it he well, connected it, to it I, I could I could say line that 
that Clint Eastwood said in a movie, but I, I'm not going to come off like Clint Eastwood. That, that's the magic of what you guys are trying to do with comedy. And the, it's the same with what I'm doing with drumming. Um, it's just different ways to get there. Well, when you sell the, when you sell the joke, okay. You know, the, the jokes are an exaggeration of, of, of our lives, you know, something that happened to us. But the thing is when you're, when you're telling the joke and it doesn't come off mechanical is because you're connecting with the words that you're saying. Right. So if Sean was to do so actually, a joke that I do, is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, because I, when I'm telling the story, I, I do a lot of material about my mom, uh, about my wife. I'll do material. Yeah, about that's a Freudian slip, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to feel that. You better yeah, I do, feel it. Yeah, I do. I, oh, I, 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 I've been doing jokes about like like uh, my, my dad recently. I've been doing jokes about, you know, life. But I'm, I'm when I'm telling these jokes and, and you tell them these jokes a lot. You know, but the thing is, I'm telling that story. And as I'm telling the joke, I'm thinking back on the story. So I'm it's coming from my perspective. It's coming from my feel. Sean couldn't tell that joke because he didn't have that experience. Right. Just like I couldn't have any. I couldn't tell a joke about like his dog because I don't have his dog. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, more like being, it's more like being a cover band. I was going to do his stuff. Are, right. Right. You, you had mentioned that once before, Sean. Right. Like being in, in, a, in a cover band. You guys, we're about the same age. So I was just kind of like wondering what, what kind of music did the two of you guys grow up uh, listening to that got you into music? For me, uh, it was Beatles first. When I was really little. I used to hear the Beatles out. My older sister had them. So I got a Beatles, then Stones, then I got into Cream, Hendrix, and Zeppelin, kind of in that order. Then, then just the whole panoply of seventies classic rock. But I was gonna say that's seventies FM radio. Yeah, all, all the brothers were real big, big influence of mine too. Great um, band, you know, Pink Floyd. I mean, this Sabbath from the seventies. I mean, there's so much great music from back then. It's like, you know, it's kind of you know, who I could just band after band. And for me as a guitar player, I took all that. I learned them all note for note, you know, years. You know, I would sit in my room and like learn, you know, back then with the record and go back and forth and back and forth. Are you self-taught, Josh? Uh, I, no, I had a lot of lessons, but nobody teaches you how to play rock and roll. I mean, back maybe nowadays, I guess you look at YouTube, but back then, you know, you, you got to teach you the scale or teach you this or that. But if you're going to get like the feel as Andre's talking about the vibrato, the, the way you play in the, the feel of it all and to get your poor, when you take it all and put it in a blender and then like make it yours and have your soul kind of poured into your guitar as best you can, then, then you got to learn that yourself. Nobody can, I don't think anybody can really teach you that. And uh, to, so, yeah, you know, you learn like the Stairway to Heaven lead as an example, note for note. And then you learn, you know, how to play Purple Haze note for note. And then you're all of a sudden you're doing a blues jam and you're kind of mixing them all together, you know, with all those different songs. And uh, so, yeah, so. It's like we're impersonators almost, if you think about it. Well, doing impersonations, like, yeah, you yeah. know, of, and it's it becomes this blend of like like the drummers I grew up with. Um, Tommy Aldridge, I love the way that guy played. John Bonham, of course, and and Buddy Rich for the technicality. And but um, they all get kind of blended together in my head. So whatever's mm -hmm. coming out is kind of really my interpretation of the people that inspired me when I was a kid. So like a melting pot of all that stuff. Same thing you guys are doing with comedians, no doubt. It's it's. Let me tell you, well, when you first start as a when I'm you first sure. start as a comedian, you have your influences. I mean, like, and you know, I had no who mine were. And then when you start off, you automatically tend to start drifting towards their cadence, their sound, their delivery. Their and that's bad. Uh, and how and could you not? It's, I mean, yeah, the, the very true. English language I learned from my parents. You know, it's all just a past forward thing. You know. Um, no doubt, man. That's always interesting when you play. Because yeah, we do covers too. We play, we play some court, you know, corporate events and you know, private. We tour, we tour around the Virginia, Central Virginia, North Carolina, that area. And uh, sometimes him and in my band, we do that. We're doing gigs every now and then. So you place covers for those, and then the answer is like, do you think about? Do you want to play the lead note for note? You know, because you know it note for note. And but people like hearing certain leads note for note. You just make it your own. And, you know, you do a little, I always do like a little, little bit of both, really nothing strictly note for note, but there's some things like, you know, if you do a song like, you know, Don't Stop Leaving by Journey or something like that, where people really want to hear that intro lick done. If you do it just right, people kind of like, you know, look up in a bar and go, whoa, that guy's doing it great. But it's, you know, it's always more fun to play original music and we do plenty of, sh you know, do shows with that only, but those are, you know, farther and a few between and, and, and at least at this stage right now, you know, the money's also in the, in the, in the, 
combine gigs that a cover band where you know, you know cover yeah, band. Man. I yeah. always think there's a big difference between a cover band and a tribute band. I think with a cover band, you have a lot more uh, leeway to do what you want to really do instead of a tribute band where you really gotta yeah. you you gotta play note for note. You gotta use the same instruments, the same pedals, the same everything. Even look like the people at some point, you know, because a lot of these tribute bands are actually. Yeah, the tribute thing minds. is really taken off, man. It's it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the era of music that we grew up with is uh, still popular enough for people to want to um, get out there and see it, even if the band is broken up, you know? Yeah, we got a big place. Of, I was thinking of forming a Burl Ives tribute band, but I didn't think there'd be much of a market <laughs> for that. There's a big place down here called the Stone Pony, and it, it's pretty famous across the country. You so know? Josh, Josh Stone, just hired me. To, oh, what's that? Stone Pony is talking about. Um, Sean was talking about the Stone Pony. Yeah, so that's it's in Jersey, in Jersey, right? Yeah, it's in Asbury Park, New Jersey, yeah. and like they have a the inside during the winter, but outside they have uh, like the summer stage where like bigger bands will come and and do like you know four or five thousand people. And there's a band called Almost Queen, which is a Queen cover band. The guy looks like Freddie Mercury. He sounds like Freddie Mercury. This this band is selling out four and five thousand ticket sales. That's yeah, so weird, man. You know, it's the money's out there, which is it blows my mind. It really does blow my mind. But there's a Grateful I, Dead band in our town that's doing that too. People are they're selling out. People are trading tickets for their shows and stuff like that. And they're a Grateful Dead you know, tribute band. There's a band doing that now called Farna. You ever hear Farna? Let let that horrible joke sit like a fart in church, everybody. Yeah, you're, you're talking about like, oh, there's there's a lot of bands that are like no. Skinner, yeah, you know, Molly Hatchet. There's all these bands that have the name, but there's really not, not one them. original member. Same thing for uh, Molly Hatchet. Doesn't have one original member. Or I right. mean, there's wait a minute. There's not one original I, member. Well, Black, okay, Blackfoot. I know does not have one. I thought original they had member. to have one original member for it to even be. I mean, Blackfoot. Considered. Blackfoot. I know does not. But the guy that formed it, Ricky Medlock, has licensed them to do it. I think Molly Hatchet. There's a guy that joined at some point down the road that has the rights to it now. But I don't think any of the original members wow. are. Most of them. Have I'm this, the drummer Bruce. There's Cop, no one from the classic. He just recently passed away. Yeah. Yeah, there's no one from the classic Farna albums on it. Mick Jones sometimes comes out with them, and and he owns the name. The name, so they, they they tour under Farna. But what do you guys think about that? Bands that go out and they have the name, and people go to places like the Stone Pony, and you know, but they're seeing a band, and it technically is a tribute band. I feel I feel like. I was just having a big debate with some friends about the, the, the Blackfoot version because Ricky Medlock licenses that. I feel like, you know, Ricky created this band. He wrote those great songs, you know, Train Train. And uh, that, you know, that uh, Blackfoot had that great first album, with Highway Song on it. If he wants to do that yeah, and gives it his license, I mean, it's his music. I mean, I don't, I know if you, people want to go see it, then they'll go see it. If they don't, they don't. Rick, you know, does the Blackfoot... Do people know what they're going to see, though, when they well, see that, the name? Do most people know the difference? I mean, well, I think if you're a fan of, let's say, a, a band like Farn or Black, but that that was a big band, and then you go and, and, that, people, and it's advertised. Yeah, but a lot of people, if they go to a show like that and they do Hot Blooded and it sounds sort of like it, they don't. They're not. Oh, Kelly, you know, Kelly Hansen's a great singer, right? So and they don't we, like you know thinking gee, that guitar. You know, the guy probably knows the leads note for note, probably plays them just right. So I, I you know, I guess ultimately, I can see both sides of it. I think there is a deceptive side of it, and it's kind of like let it. You know, I mean, Andre and I, should we form the Beatles and start playing Beatles songs? Because there's no, you know, no, no Beatles playing. Obviously not. But, uh, you know, it, well, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I'm, I know I'm just saying, but, <laughs> uh, you know, they, there's there's a lot of bands that when the core person like like uh, a band that's going around now, the Outlaws, I happen to love the band, the Outlaws. Love They're the cool Outlaws. now. And Henry Paul is back in the band. So they have the original singer who left, though, after a year. So, like, you know, he is was he, still in the band. Who? Yui. Oh, Yui died years ago. Oh, he died. Uh, yeah, I guess died, not the band yeah, anymore. Yeah, you, you died years ago, and uh, so you have uh, it's it's you know it's uh, it is Henry Paul who was in the band for a year or two, their first album. It's it's just a weird thing, and with the continuity bands, I mean, Leonard Skinner doesn't have one original member now, but there's I don't think, and I think they're about playing though. I think they're still touring. Well, they Ronnie Miss Piles, Ronnie's brother, Ronnie's brother. He's the singer. I opened up for him when I was a kid, actually. You had mentioned at the, at the very top that I played with Black Rose, which was the band I played with when I was a little kid. 
I mean, that was like when between the age of um, 10 and 16. But um, we opened for Johnny Van Zandt when I was like 13 years old in uh, Virginia Beach. And um, that was like a big deal, man. I was 13 years old opening for the the brother of the lead singer of Leonard Skinner, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's still in the band. I mean, there's been so many bands that have gone on without the signature person, whether it's, uh, I mean, so many bands. Right, that guy. That went without the signature person. So, like, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, what I'm trying to think of. Uh, like, what band could have a signature guy, a face of the band, and go on and, and continue? And, you know. And like, Halen. Well, they changed, and they, but they changed their name. They, 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 they didn't change the name, but they changed their sound. ACDC. You know, they, this, again, it, it, ACDC wasn't as big until they got Brian Johnson in the band. Yeah. They never were. I don't, don't think that's true. I don't know if that's no, true. No, it's true. They, when they, when, when Bonds, they were just starting to ascend yeah, with Bonds on the back. They hit a different level with uh, Back in Black. They weren't. They weren't. Yeah, selling hell, that's that's true. But Highway to Hell was pretty, pretty. I mean, they were pretty big. Brian was the right. It's amazing that that's one of the true amazing stories where two signature great, you know, lead singers, uh, you know, came came together in the same band for sure. That is unique. Another band, like I was looking it up, Badfinger was one. Like so, Pete Ham was the main guy. Wrote the song, sang the songs. He dies, and they go on for twenty years. You know, with some with some guy. I see both sides of it, but I mean, I, I think it's it's the best in my opinion. I guess it was if I was king for a day, I'd say it should be like what Zeppelin did. Once John Bomb died, that was the end of you know they really never really did the true Led Zeppelin again. He was a key and he was the drummer, and still even there, he was such a great drummer, such a signature part of it. And uh, like Rush kind of said, we're not there's no Rush without Neil Peart. And, you know, I think that that's the better way, in my opinion, that's the better way to do it. That's why I like it. It kind of saves the purity of it. But, you know, uh, you know, the Eagles kicked out Don Felder. He wrote Hotel California, played all those signature parts. They kick him out. They go on. And, you know, now Glenn Fry's gone and they're still calling themselves the Eagles. Are they the Eagles? There's three of there's two, three. Original members yeah. or two, not like not like the Rolling Stones no, where, they, where they where they shoveled the last scoop of dirt onto Charlie Watson. Like, all right, we gotta go back to friggin' uh, we gotta go yeah. to Michigan tomorrow. Well, they said yeah. that's what Charlie would have wanted, right? That's what they that's what they yeah. said. Right. Yeah, the Eagles the Eagles are it's just one original member. Well, is it's Don Henley, and I guess I guess you can't really call Joe Walsh an original member because he he's not he's not original. He, he, right. he didn't play on uh, the Hotel California album. He, yeah, he, he didn't, didn't know that. that. That was his first. He played on that. Was no, his, he played on the first album. He, he played on the album. Weird. He played on the album. His first, his first tour, his first album, I think, was the long run. No, it was Hotel California. I'll bet. I, I don't know. Hey, Sean. Hey, you, Sean. Look, Sean, look it up. Look, okay, I'm going to my Google machine money. here, people. We're gonna yeah. bet some money on that because he wrote a couple of songs on it. And, 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 and Timothy B. Schmidt's not an original member. Right, but he wrote Life in the Fast Lane. That's on Hotel California. Joe Walsh wrote that lick. Trust me, guitar Bruce. player, guitar player knowledge. I don't know. I like I'm probably gonna lose. No, Sean's yeah. looking it up. Uh, Sean's looking it up. It was Hotel California. That's what that I said. First record. His first record was Hotel California. Yeah, that's what I said. Exactly. That's what I said. No, you said the long run, Jeff. It's on tape. I'm fucking with you. Okay. Sean, check me out here. Am I right? No, oh, man. Okay. So this, I get hired weird. by these guys to play, and I have to deal with that stuff. I mean, he does it to me even worse. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether it's worth the money. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you guys about another thing that kind of, like, um, kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. And we, we've had... Uh, musicians on we've discussed this with them um bands that are going out and touring and they're playing with like backing tracks or so in some cases they'll just put like they'll have a program on a computer hit a button and they're playing over it you know what do you guys think about that that's the thing man it's that's the thing it's well everybody everybody's they were doing it back during Def Leppard's heyday because uh I had a friend that was working with them uh, to do with uh, like engineering sound and such at one point, and they all they all used uh, backing uh, tracks like pre-recorded background vocals for all the courses that would kick in, and uh, the drummers playing with a with a click track. You have to play with a click track that's keeping you in time, you know. So when the background vocals come in, it's in sync and everything. But bands have been doing that since the 
the mid eighties and such, you know, I mean, I believe it's the industry standard now. I mean, it's basically yeah. the industry standard. All the Nashville artists are touring with it. I have friends that play with them and they just use little they, things. And they, they want to sound backing vocals. You right. Know. They want yeah. to sound just like the record. So if there's a little look, flute part or everything, they want everything there. So I'm, you're asking what we think about it. I mean, it is the industry standards, what a lot of artists are doing. If it's being used, I love when we play, yeah. we don't do that. And I love that because we go in space land, we're playing a jam and we can go like, we'll be doing a song in the tempo of like this. And then we'll just go speed up and we'll slow down and we'll switch. I'll just pull a song out of my hat. We'll just yeah. go do a random medley. I mean, that's like the beauty of live music, I think, is to be able to do that. So, you know, as old school guy like I, I like to not do that. I've done it. I've played with it. It's, improvisational, yeah. it's just like, you know, you're just kind of stuck there and you got to do it the same way every single time. You're kind of like almost like a, you know, you're, you're, you're a performer versus, a, well, I shouldn't say a performer versus an artist, but you're just, you're doing a, it's like doing a play where you kind of try to say the lines the same way yeah. every night and do the same performance almost like. Versus, is that what music is? Well, when you're doing with a clip, when you're doing it like that, my my friends that do that, I mean, basically they want the song to sound like the record every single night. They want the people to get that exact same experience. So the, the backing vocals and the, all the various instruments are there. So yes, it's that's what they're doing as a performance artist kind of, they're not improvising. There's no way to do an extra long lead because you're into it. So I think that's distinguishable from what we're doing, where we do go off and we're like, I'll take a song and we'll be doing it, whether it's a cover or original. I'll like, there's one of my songs called Five Forks Woods on my first album. And, and I do like a space jam at the end of it, like a Grateful Dead type inspired space jam. And I'll change tempo. And, and he's right there with me. We just look at each other and feel each other. And you just can't, you just lose that. So when it's a good crowd and people are into that and you're doing just like a total riff and going off on a whole new thing, and that's like, I mean, that's what the great, you know, old torn bands did. That's what the dead did. That's what, you know, Fish does. That's what these jam bands do. And that's what, you know, Deep Purple would do that too. They would go off on these random jams and they'd do 20 minute versions of a song, you know, because they would just jam out. One of the reasons I love the Foo Fighters so much is that like he started off, you know, recording his first album by himself, realizes he needs a second guitar player. After the third album, like he's recording three, four and five guitar parts. And he's like, you know what? I don't want to sound like this. And he brought a third guitar player in. Just to make it sound more natural. That's cool. That's, that's which is why I love about them too. But they're playing, but they're playing live, Sean. You know that that's that's the thing. I mean, you you were talking about going to see like a cover band and uh, or, or any type of live band. Like when I go see a band live, I don't mind if there's a couple of blemishes in this in the song. In fact, I even like that because it sounds authentic. It sounds mm -hmm. it sounds real. That's what I'm paying for. Otherwise, I can stay home and I can watch the videos. And it's 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 the same thing. Or you know what? I could go up there and 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 pretend I'm playing. I I think I think there's something fraudulent about that. And there are a bunch of bands that talk out about it. I'm going to see one of them uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, Hailstorm. You know, they play live all the time. All their instruments. It is live. The Black Crows. They have background sing. They have a couple of uh, women who sing background. They don't. They don't have anything pre-recorded. And if if, if something messes up. It messes up, but that's but that's the beauty of going to see a live show. Yeah, that's, that's, great. Great. That's, that's real life, and I agree with that. I hate to speak badly about my fellow musicians. I mean, you know, I kind of be, I tend to be very politically correct when it comes to that because I have friends that do it. So I hate to talk bad about it. I mean, it is an industry standard, but it is. It, you're right; it's definitely not the same as you know. Well, the bands that, that I'm talking that I was talking about are just using some background vocals and stuff. They're not, I mean, the, the drums are real, guitar, bass, keyboards, everything is real, even the lead singer, but just some of the, a little bit of a help with the background vocals during the course would come in or maybe a keyboard drone or something, but mm -hmm. that's, that's about it. I mean, I'll tell you one of the most amazing concerts I ever went to. And like, I've probably been to, you know, over a thousand concerts and I'm, I'm younger than you guys, but I, I'm a concert fanatic. Uh, oh, yeah. Ed Sheeran. I don't know if you guys like him or not. I saw him at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn with 20,000 people with just him and a guitar on stage with a loop machine. And he he had his loop machine where he would start off and get the beats going, record it, bop, go to the next one, bop, go to the next one, bop. Some loops. And then by when he's ready to play, it's this freaking song that you're hearing that's on vinyl or it's on, you know, your digital copy or whatever. And to me, Listen, to this day, one of the top five concerts I ever went to in my life, because I'm just watching this guy as one dude 
on this gigantic stage with an acoustic guitar and a loop machine. And he had 20,000 people completely yeah, that's awesome, awesome, dude. right there, like literally right in the Have palm of his hand. Tommy Emmanuel, acoustic no. guitar player, plays mm. solo by himself? No, I haven't. No. That guy's, I mean, he doesn't even sing. He's just playing guitar. That guy is unbelievable. I mean, brilliant, man. Check him out. Tommy Emmanuel. Man, I'd like to do a recording with him. He's a flat picker. He picks. He uh, does the finger. I mean, I'm a hard rock drummer and and I like to pound it out, but I'm really starting to get into more of the finesse stuff. Some of the stuff that I'm doing with Josh is going to be with brushes. And uh, I just uh, I just recorded a track with Tim Williams, um, a song called Sanctified that's out there right now on YouTube. Tim Williams Sanctified. And uh, that's kind of more of a bluesy rock tune. It's not like real hard rock or even on the level of Kiss or such. It's more like a um, Muddy Waters kind of um, Howlin' Wolf kind of vibe, but with louder guitars, you know. But I love some of the um, just the guitar playing and the old blues character, man. That's heavy stuff, dude. You do a lot of shows. Well, before I met Josh, he was doing shows by yourself, just strumming guitar and singing and throwing character, right? And using a loop. I do the looper. They use the loop pedal too. Josh, do you sing as well? Yeah, I sing. Yeah, Josh yeah, is killer, I sing. man. He's. I'm looking forward to doing these recordings. Yeah, I've written like about 40, over here. Yeah, 40, 45 songs. Again, I have two albums out. Uh, it's Josh Leaf. It's on Instagram and on you know on Spotify, Apple Music, places like that. Um, I have a music video for a song called Love in Disguise on YouTube. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out. Um, Andre, who are your top five favorite drummers and why? Um, it'd be hard to put it into five. I mean, I think the answer to why it would be, though, is just who it was that I was inspired by when I grew up. You know, the music that I liked is what drew me to the drummer that was playing with the band. I mean, I started getting into um, Kiss as a little kid, you know, I was like 10 in 1976. So I loved Peter Chris because he was the drummer of that band. And um, but then I got into um, Neil Peart, obviously. Um, Tommy uh, Aldridge, the drummer from Pat Travers band, and he played with uh, uh, Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne and Whitesnake. Incredible player. Double kick, though. <laughs> Different kind of vibe. <clears throat> but uh, as I got older, I started getting into the drummers that were really like the, the pentacle of the technical stuff, which is uh, Buddy Rich and all the modern jazz guys or fusion guys like Dave Weckl and Dennis Chambers and Steve Gadd and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I like drumming for different reasons. I, like the stuff I'm recording with Josh is, is, is more of a feel character thing. And I'm, I'm excited about, these recordings because of of what we talked about earlier with the feel and the character just becoming a part of the song uh, versus other stuff I may listen to because just the drumming is so awesome. I'm getting off on that rudiment that he played or the independence between the cymbal and the snare, but that's kind of nerdy drummer stuff, you know? It's really about the music, the song, and what it does for you. But yeah, man. I think drummers get a bad rap. You know, I think they get a bad rap because everybody's like, oh, my God, he's my favorite singer. He's my favorite guitar player. People don't give a lot of credit to the rhythm section. You know, I mean, people, if if you're ignorant to how music works and I use that word in the sense of, I mean, I don't know anything about golf. You know what I mean? Then uh, it would be pretty easy for me to go see uh, somebody playing golf and just think, you know, they're swinging a club and what's the big deal? You know, I'm just but I mean. It's it's about it's about the song that's going to touch people that don't understand the technicalities of each individual instrument. You know what I mean? Right. They're just going to be touched by the song. And maybe they think the singer has got a character that's desirable or cool that they look up to. And um, and that's about it. You know, so the way I'll tell you, though, the way when you get like a guy like Andre, the way he plays and you play like a club gig and he's out there and does like just even just the flourishing at the end of the song. People that are not paying attention all of a sudden like look up and they want to look who the well, drummer is. Thank you, bro. I appreciate so it. So there, people do notice the rhythm. I mean, when the rhythm section's bad, they notice it because if it's out of rhythm, probably subconsciously. And when it's really good, when it's like really good, they notice it too because like yeah. he does, like he'll do these little fills and stuff, and people just kind of like you can see them looking up from their drink. You know what the heck's that? Yeah, I remember seeing uh, Tool two years ago in concert, and then 
you know, as you know, somebody who appreciates good musicianship, I felt like there was all this like, you know, illuminated stuff going on and there's all this visual shit. I spent two hours staring at Danny Carey, just watching him because he has some of the most amazing, weird timing fills and stuff like that. And he yeah, made you it. Know, you're a drummer too? No, I, I sing and play guitar. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, like Danny, that's probably a pretty good example of what we're talking about. That yeah. he by himself, you know, as a drummer, if he was just to take a drum solo, um, he wouldn't be on the level of people like Dennis Chambers or um, or Vinnie Caliuta or anything like that. Um, I mean, they, they would just smoke him. But um, Danny's playing within the band and what he's been uh, allowed to play as far as the music, the way it happened to be music that he was able to do some shit in, you know. Uh, and his talent is probably more so like Neil Peart's. He's good at orchestrating things. We're going to do a odd time signature here, and then we're going to go into this. And the guitar player, you know, would work with him on how the uh, arrangement of, of the song was going to be. And it and it made him shine, and he helped the band with their songs, you know. But but Danny by himself is not a flamboyant licks master. No, not you know, at all. Like uh, Vinny Caliuto, not even close. But if you're a big fan of the band, I'm sure people would argue that. No way, man. But it's not, you know, it's the band that they're really in love with. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, I remember going to see Godsmack one time, and Shannon Larkin, I think, is a very underrated uh, rock drummer. Man, he played with a, a band that I saw in California uh, called Wrathchild mm -hmm. in, like, 1989, yep. uh, and he blew me away, man. I swear to God, the entire show, I was standing right there, was at the Troubadour, and there's only, like, 20 people in there, and um, his neck was going like this so fast. It, it was almost inhuman, mm -hmm. and never missed a beat and uh every cymbal hit was like some kind of a ninja master swinging a sword man i was just mesmerized that guy was one hell of a showman still oh, yeah. with uh with godsmack uh, who's he playing with now godsmack godsmack i mean he's yeah, a monster, one of the coolest man. things you're going to see i don't know if you've ever seen it but he's as, a monster as... more for the show you know what i yeah. mean there's a great um, he's a hell of a pocket player, man. That guy's a great drummer. But once again, his main thing, I mean, I saw him play when he was young with Rothschild. His main thing was his showmanship, which yeah. is absolutely brilliant. I there's a great that. thing they did about 10 years ago, because um, I don't know if you know this. The singer from Godsmack was also their original drummer and became their singer. He's a he's actually a pretty decent drummer himself. Uh, and they did the Battle of the Drummers. Did you ever now, see which that? Which two drummers was this? It's Shannon Larkin, and it's a singer from Godsmack. So Shannon, yeah, Shannon man, comes awesome. out. Yeah, it's called uh, Batala de los Tambores. So it's the Battle of the Drums. Oh, look it up, man. Yeah. And Shannon comes out, and he's playing, and all of a sudden you see this other kit come out, and Sully is on it, and then they turn the kits towards each other, and they're playing beat for beat. Yeah, so even that what you're minutes. describing with the show and the uh, the excitement of the way they had the production with the risers were electronically moved on the stage with huge lighting. Sometimes I wonder, it's like, you know, do you ask for an autograph from one of the musicians or do you ask the light, the light guy for an autograph? Because the lighting show is such a huge part of what it is that's, oh, that's yeah. freaking you out. You know, uh, if you saw that same event take place in a small club with the two drum sessions set up beside each other, it might have not been. Even yeah, I agree. With, I agree with you. With that. that that kind of thing needs a big. This goes from a guy that was in the Kiss Circle, you know. So anyway, yeah. but that's a show, and and that's an art in on itself. I don't say that to uh, dilute uh, by any means. I'm just saying that there, there's so many different elements. There's not just one thing you know, uh, that is to love about art, be it uh, music or be it comedy, you know, what uh, Eddie Murphy did versus what um, um, another com comedian that was really famous, like Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, Robin, Robin Williams are two completely different comedians, sure. but they're both, both brilliant. And I love them for what they do, you know, but uh, it's just so subjective, man. Right. I used to always watch it like that. Yeah. I used to watch the Tommy Lee drum solo back in the late 80s where he'd have the, the rotating in the air. Yeah, see, I love that, man. I, I mean, used to always say, I used say to myself, how is, God, man, how is he not throwing up away, or shitting yeah. his pants? I don't understand how he's not doing one or the other. I would I would be throwing my guts up all over the place if I was that was me behind the drum kit. Well, back then they were probably he was probably somewhat inebriated or something no. like really <laughs> Josh some kind of chemical substances so probably just closed his eyes and enjoyed the ride probably that's great Sean, I can't believe that we're 
45 minutes into this and you haven't asked this question yet because Sean is a huge Richie Coxon fan. Yes. He talks about him all the time. And Andre, you got to play with Richie, correct? Well, yeah, but the situation with that was from Andy Seussmill, the guy in Germany that uh, I just recorded uh, with. I've recorded two records with Andy, but um, he knew Richie and pulled me into doing work with uh, uh, he and his wife, Diana. Um, and she's, she's a singer. She was pregnant at the time uh, with their child. And um, she was doing rehearsals with a, with a little baby belly, man. It was, but it was really cool, man. Richie is, man, that guy is unbelievable. He's one of the greatest guitar players I've even gotten near, you know? Yeah. He's, he's one of those talents that, you know, I, I and think, piano not, too, you know? Oh yeah. I don't think he's going to be as appreciated as he, as he should be until his time comes. You know what I mean? This guy put out an album every year. Yeah, the guy every, is absolutely brilliant. You man. know, he's, he's and he last year he turned fifty. Her. He turns fifty, Jeff, right for his la- last year, and does a double album with fifty songs for turning fifty. Oh, they have all originals, yeah. all originals, and I swear to God, dude, I think only three of them stink. There's like there's, that's the other thing. You know, you could put out a lot of stuff, like like when Louis would put out an album every year, the the quality was diluted. When he put it out yeah. an album every two and a half years. It was they were all great. Yeah, like I was talking about uh, going to see Eric Church um, last week, and again, great show. And I appreciate all types of music, but I don't know if I told you this, Jeff. So during quarantine, he took over this old uh, um, restaurant in North Carolina, and he wrote twenty-seven songs. He did three albums, put them out, you know, a week apart from each other. Twenty-seven songs. But the thing that he did, he wrote the song in the morning and recorded it at night for 27 days and put out three albums and there's not a bad song on the three albums. That's pretty perfect. Really? I did not that, know that. That's, that's to me, that's kind of like twisted fucking weirdness. Like you have to be on a different kind of level to be able to write a song in the morning and then record it at night. You do that once, you know what? You have to, you catch lightning in a bottle. You do that 27 days in a row and not throw away any song. And all the songs are solid. Now, what are you doing? Well, uh, you say you play guitar. Yeah. What music are you recording? I haven't recorded anything in a very, very long time because I, I kind of quit music to go into comedy, which was the and best decision I ever made in my are life. Doing, uh, are, are y'all living in the same state? Yeah. So Jeff's in Staten Island, New York, and I'm in New Jersey. What's what's the uh, clubs that you guys are hitting or if you're doing like any live comedy? Oh, we're yeah, I mean, we, we go everywhere. What you know. com- like what comedy clubs? Like t- like tomorrow yeah, night. Roger right. was asking like what comedy clubs. Yeah, like yeah. what kind of uh, clubs are y'all playing at? Well, like tomorrow night, I'm at the uh, Comic Strip. It's like you know, it's a pretty well known uh, comedy club in uh, in New York City. Uh, you know, but on the weekends, I usually um, I'm out of town, uh, yeah. and during the week, I'll play clubs in the city. I'll play. I'll do stand up New York. I'll do uh, like I said, the Strip. I do uh, Greenwich, Broadway. Uh, occasionally, I'll get up at Caroline's, you know, uh, and then I'll do like a lot of like, you know, the, the, these other different type of rooms, these uh, alt rooms. Yeah, I'm not uh, like that. I like to get in my car and drive to Virginia and North Carolina and South Carolina. <laughs> and just well, be I'll, do that. I'll do that on the weekends or, or yeah. you know, if it's someplace I have to fly to, I'll do that. But during the week, you know, you got you to work it out. You got to work out either new material or you want to bump up the stuff that you already have, you know? Yeah, so that's what you do during the, the week. podcast that he's doing. Well, Rogan, Rogan is a comedian, right? Well, he yeah. still is. Yeah. And he's one of the biggest out there still. And, you know, but that's, again, he's he's doing his podcast. He's one of the first podcasters out there. He's doing yeah. it over 15 years. And It's the know. new medium, man, I believe. This convention that I did at Rockapod in Nashville, that's what that's all about. Yeah. All the podcasters and rock and roll community getting together. And, uh, man, I mean, the podcast is going to take over radio eventually. It's it already has. Computer technology. Regular radio, it already has. I mean, you still have your, your Sirius XM, which is still, it's big. You know, it's still a very big platform. But I think that. No one listens to, to, to uh, terrestrial, terrestrial radio. radio right? I listen dead. to YouTube in the car. I put YouTube. I have YouTube. Yeah. YouTube Premium. I, I signed up for that. You get YouTube Premium. It's got a mil- every, every, the encyclopedia. Anything you could possibly want to hear about, you know, is on YouTube, basically. Yeah. Well, the, th- the thing is, Josh, you know, and it goes back to the, the backing tracks. You know, who wants it safe? Who wants it predictable? Everything doesn't have to be Disney. 
You know what I mean? It's like sometimes you want something that's that that's a that, that's a little like you know it's not always uh, homogenized. You know, no, I, mean, I, want- I agree with you on that, Jeff. We you know we got to re- we agree on that. I think all probably four of us agree on that. But the crowd, the ones that are buying, you know, the 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 the, the songs that are getting the twenty million streams in a, you know in the first whatever six months they're out. Those are those beatified kind of songs, and when people go to hear those. <laughs> That's what they want to hear. So that's that's <laughs> what it is, you know. But with podcasts, as opposed to doing a show on uh, Sirius XM or even terrestrial radio, which is complete garbage, you know, podcasts, you can't get canceled. So you can speak honestly. You can speak your mind. And that's why I think people gravitate to that, because it's real yeah, and yeah. It's, it's honest. That's what Joe yeah, Rogan had going on. We've been talking yeah, over That's exactly right. And we've been talking uh, over each other. And you've asked a question. He's answered a different question. And he got up and we just, you know, we go all over the place. It's like human interaction. It's real stuff. No, wait not, a minute. You guys not, are not going back and editing this not, out? <laughs> we don't do that. A lot of people <laughs> will do that. We'll edit a podcast. We have <laughs> never edited one podcast. We'll adjust levels on microphones and stuff like that. But we, right. we don't ever take out anything because we always want it to be like if it's we have one guest or if we have two guests, it, it, we want it to be like we're hanging at a bar and there's the music is low and we're all just talking and bullshitting. And that's one of the reasons why we think that we're a little different than a lot of other people, because we don't push an agenda. We don't like I'm a, I'm a music fucking nerd. You know what I mean? And, and Jeff is a music nerd. But like we're not trying to like force feed our opinions down people's throat. Like, I want to, I want to learn about right. different things. Like, I, I never heard of this other guitar player that you, you mentioned before. I'm going to check him out. You know, you never heard about the, the, the dual drum solo. You're going to go on your phone later on and watch it. So if you learn one thing, yeah, you can do it instantly too, man. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about podcasting too, is like, you can just, you can go in your car and everybody has their own TV channel. Yeah, you, you have your Especially own choice of a million media. people. I mean, everybody literally has their own TV channel worldwide. So, yeah, yeah. man. It's true. I, I, I really want to know like, your honest feeling on this. Can any of you three guys, can any of you really sit and watch a late night talk show? Only if I know I somebody who's on it. I watch zero commercial TV. Yeah, thank you. I, I, yeah, it's I, very I'll just DVR it and fast forward through the commercials. If there's something I really want to see, but I, I just don't watch it. It's just who has because the, con- the conversation isn't real. When you <laughs> when you talk about like Rogan, even a guy like Andrew Schultz, who I think does a great job, you know, when you look at listen to listen to some of these other podcasts, the conversation they're having, again, it's real that you don't get. On commercial TV, I mean, not I would not that this, I would say Jeff. It has also to do with the abundance of content. It's yes. not so much that I think. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you there. But forty years ago or thirty years ago, you know, you didn't have that much content at eleven thirty. I mean, what content? Are right. you now you can have self-selected content right. twenty-four hours a day. I don't have to go here. You know, Johnny Carson talk to you know whoever to uh, you know to Bob Hope. I can I can instead go to something about motorcycles that I'm really interested in, or I can go mm-hmm. to something about guitars that I'm really interested in, or I can go to something about, you know, uh, what boating or whatever, you know, whatever my interest is, you know, yeah. how to, you know, it's true. It's, I think that's why how it's turned blew up the way he blew up 35, 40 years ago is because he was so different from everybody else. And then you get the copycats after that. You know, but- one of the things that's negative that's about right. it though is intellectual properties and, like my friend Robert Fleischman that I recorded with, that uh, he was the he was the very first singer of Journey. Wrote "Wheel in the Sky" and uh, "Anytime." And but uh, he was, was he in the band with uh, Greg Raleigh? I recorded with him. Say that again. Was he in the band with Greg Raleigh? He was back then. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's video oh, of wow. it out on YouTube and such. They. Oh yeah. They they did a uh, they got a, a star on the Hollywood. Uh, uh, Walk of Fame, they call it. Walk and of Robert fame. was there and got the plaque and all. It was really cool. Nice. Anyway, what I was going to say is that uh, he was making you know money profit off of Wheel in the Sky that he wrote with Journey and Anytime and some big hits. And when um, the internet became big to where if you wanted to hear Wheel in the Sky, you could just go on YouTube, type it in, and there it is, free of charge. Mm-hmm. All the, uh, the record sales just died out. So his uh, royalty was just... 
You know, it, it happened slowly, but so intellectual properties now are just up for grabs. I mean, if, if you did a, a stand up comedy routine that was loved by millions, you'd be happy about that. But then you put it out there to try to make a profit for I'd be happy if it was loved by you can just get it for free on YouTube, you know, and it's true. It's it's the technology just has destroyed intellectual prop properties and the profit that you could ordinarily make with it. Oh, know? big time. Like I'm, I'm going to be recording a special probably in the end of March, beginning of April. And I really am torn about how I want to go about it. Like, do I want to just record well, what, it? What tangible thing are you going to sell? That's what we got to figure out. Is it going to be just right. merchandise? Because nobody's going to buy a CD or an album of your standup um, uh, comedy these days. So how do you make a profit as far as a tangible, tangible item? Uh, that's an interesting conversation, but it is. I have to roll there it needs really more of getting, it, getting the getting the old material out and getting my face out. So that way, you know, hey, if somebody does see it, hey, maybe they're casting a, you know, they want to have a devastatingly handsome, chubby bearded, fat Italian comic. You know what I mean? Like that's what they're looking for. And they catch that. And then, you know, that's the next step. But it's a hard it's hard to make just to make. A, a fucking dollar in this industry. I, mean, I, I had I had a, one of my songs, you know, it's a really random music market these days. So I got picked up by this big Brazilian playlist in Brazil. So I had a song go viral in South America. I was get I got, I think at the peak I had about, and, and you know, it's nothing like the huge artists, but I think I had maybe like a hundred thousand plays in one month or a, on Spotify. So a hundred thousand and a quarter. I forgot what it was like 70. I'm seeing these like out of nowhere. Like I'm usually like a, a thousand listens, 50 monthly listeners all of a sudden i have 10,000 monthly listeners on spotify and you know in hundreds of that i mean tens of thousands of plays i'm thinking whoa i'm gonna get some money out of this like next month yeah. it's, it's peanuts i mean it's you know and it, then you went to starbucks yeah. and you put I mean, it a couple hundred bucks you know it's like i, I got like yeah. for like about six months of pretty for me you know very intense play all over it was like santiago chile rio de janeiro all these things that blew up on these brazilian playlists the song love and disguise but maybe because of the video, I don't know even more. I don't even know what happened. I never marketed to Brazil or anything there. All of a sudden, I get picked up by a playlist, and I'm all I'm getting all these reports that my top ten cities are all like these South American cities. It's bizarre. It's and, listen over here in Jersey. We have a cover band called the Nerds, and they come out dressed up like Revenge of the Nerds, and they've been around for 25, 30 years. They've been around forever. They play every place. In the that's world. still kind of a current thing. It, well, it, but again, they make they, these guys are a cover band that have 401ks, retirement funds like these guys are are big time. You know what I mean? But they a video of theirs got caught somewhere in Japan in like the 90s. And they blew up to the point where they opened up for Whitney Houston at the Tokyo Dome. Wow, man, that's awesome. You know, so that's you never know where your music is going to wind up hitting or, or look at David Hasselhoff. He's the biggest fucking thing in Germany. And it's the worst music ever recorded. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's kind of interesting. I mean, but the, the money thing, as far as I'm concerned, is, I mean, I want to survive. I want to make good money, obviously, like anybody wants. But I also want to do um, my the art that I love and, and hang, uh, metaphorically, I want to hang paintings on the walls of the museum and through my life, you know. Um, it's, it's not just about how much money, you know, I've made or um, whether or not my sofa's worth 6,000 versus 500. It's, it's also about um, what I'm leaving behind, how I'm inspiring other people, hopefully. And, um, and just appreciating art, being an artist. I mean, you starving artists, you know? Yes. So um, if you really wanted to make money, you wouldn't be doing comedy and I, I wouldn't be playing drums, you know, and doing session work. Right. So very true. Well, guys, where can we get you guys, uh, your handles for social media? So our, uh, our listeners can check you guys out. Um, it's Josh leaf L I E F. And that's on Instagram and, uh, and J uh, Josh leaf music on Facebook and Spotify, Josh leaf. And if you, you know, YouTube J O S H L I E F you'll find me and look up love and disguise and music video for that. Give that a listen, give it a thumbs up. Yeah. I'd appreciate it. Or give it a follow on Spotify. Listen to both my albums. Uh, love and disguise is one and redemption is another album. Again, it's Josh Lee. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, yeah, and we're going to have a single out. Sorry. We'll have a single out and probably by March the latest. So it'll be, it'll be under Josh Lee, but Andre's going to be playing drums on it. And Will you guys be touring. 
but we're looking into it. You know, it's very fluid out there. You know, I was really on the verge of going to tour in support of my second album when the COVID, when the COVID started going on. So we're playing a fair amount. We're, we've played a bunch of gigs, but, you know, kind of keeping it in the central Virginia, you know, to like in its environs. You know, yeah, I just know when you go up uh, north of little town. So, you know, we don't know about touring yet. We're going to see, have to see what's going on. But uh, if, you know, definitely put out a single sometime in March and look for it again under Josh Lee. Yeah, you can just just Google my name, Andre Lavelle, and um, it'll it'll all my stuff comes right up. You know, I mean, that's awesome. that's something that's extremely um, beautiful about the technology is that uh, you're, you're we're not depending on some kind of a major record company or um, some um uh, I guess like a movie production company to hit you guys up and hire you into a situation uh, in order for you to get your your comedy out there these days. You're worldwide right now. Uh, I just went to Germany and uh, did a, um, a run out there for a while, and it all came through uh, basically the internet, social media, and all of that. Reconnecting with a guitarist that I recorded with years ago in California. So, um, yeah, man. But thanks for uh, thanks for the for the interview. And man, Listen, man you guys are great. You it was a great time for me. Out, you know. We appreciate your time, guys. You guys were great. You know, it's really cool hanging out and talking music with you. And uh, again, you know, let us know when you're going to come up north. You know, we'll 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 promote your shows and maybe we'll come out and see you. We'd love to see you. Awesome, man. Be awesome. Love to get with you guys and uh, have a coffee, man. No doubt. Sounds good, man. Coolness. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll catch everybody next week. Thanks, everybody.